In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. On the occasion of this great solemnity in the Church, the great feast of St. Joseph, we can read from the Gospel of Matthew to begin our prayer, where Matthew describes Joseph's discovery of his vocation, of the whole point of his life. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. We can imagine, perhaps as we often have, what a tremendous situation this was for St. Joseph to find out that Mary was with child. It's hard to know exactly what was going through his mind, what a shock this was. Perhaps he thought, well, she belongs to someone else. She is committed to someone else. And for whatever reason, she couldn't tell me that, but she seems as she had to because she was sinless. She seems like a honest and innocent girl, and I know her well enough. But for some reason, there's some other man involved here. Or perhaps he thought, well, some grave injustice has been done to her. And he can't figure out what it was or how it happened. And yet we see here that Joseph, being a just man, as the scripture says, tries to do the best thing. And he decides that's to put her away quietly. But then God intervenes and God reveals to him his path, his vocation. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. And through the revelation of the angel, Joseph realizes that there's no other man involved here, that the child to be born is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit and the power of God. And the angel tells him, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. And yet at the same time, he knows that 
she belongs to God in a special way. Indeed, Our Lady is spouse of the Holy Spirit. And so God is telling her, take her as your wife. Yes, she's your wife, but not in the same way as other men have wives. And the church teaches us that both Joseph and Mary were virgins. Our Lady was a virgin before and after the Annunciation. And so they had a a real marriage, and in a certain sense a natural marriage, but it was also different than most marriages and more supernatural and distinct from other marriages. She's your wife, but she's also God's. She belongs to God. And this is the great mystery and the wonderful privilege of Joseph's vocation. God is entrusting Joseph with his own spouse, with his own mother, and with his own son, with himself, God the Son. She's your wife, and he's your son, but they're also mine. She's my spouse, and he's my son. And Mary says this of Joseph, and we also see it here in the responsibility that God gives to Joseph of naming his son, naming him Jesus. That's the responsibility of a father. And Mary, later on in the Gospel of Luke, tells Jesus, your father and I have been looking for you. And so it's very clear that Joseph really is Jesus' father. Jesus belongs to the house of David through Joseph. And yet we know that God is Jesus' father. Jesus is both Joseph's and God's son. Mary is both Joseph's and God's spouse. And so Joseph's life and Joseph's vocation really take the form of a sacred trust. God has entrusted to him his own spouse, his own daughter, his own mother, and his own divine son. And now, without ceasing to be God's, God's precious possessions, they're now also Joseph's. They're Joseph's to serve, to protect, to love, and delight in. And yet they remain God's. And so this must have affected in Joseph, of course, a real reverence and respect towards Mary and a reverence and respect towards Jesus. There was a certain holy and understandable reserve at the mystery with which he was wrapped up and a sense of gratitude that he was trusted by God in this way with these precious possessions of God, these people who God thought so much of and loved so much had been given to Joseph in the sacred trust. It's kind of like what the church prays in the second Eucharistic prayer after the Consecration, we pray, giving you thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and serve you. We give God thanks that he's held us worthy to be in his presence and serve you. And we can imagine that Joseph felt the same kind of gratitude. He was chosen worthy by God to serve him in this special way, to be in his presence in this unique way to be spouse of Mary, the mother of God, 
Father of Jesus, the Son of God. And this is a great lesson for us in a way we should all think about our own lives and the people in our lives as Joseph thought of Mary and Jesus. Because the fact is they're not just ours, but they're also God's. They're not primarily our possession or our people. They're primarily God's. They belong to God. They're children of God. And so that should give us a certain kind of healthy trepidation in dealing with each other, in living our lives. The sense that Joseph had that there's something holy here. This belongs to God. These people belong to God. My life belongs to God. I have to treat them and it with respect and love and veneration. Our life is a sacred trust. God has entrusted others to us to take care of, and he's entrusted ourselves to live our life. And we're extremely valuable to God. It's kind of like the experience, that, like if someone lends us something of great value to them, or great intrinsic value. Well, when we have that thing and we use it, we're careful not to lose it. We return it in good shape. If possible, we clean it up or repair it if anything's happened to it before we give it back. We certainly don't use it in a careless way. And if we do, if we lend something that is valuable and we're careless with it and we damage it or lose it, well, it shows a great lack of respect for the person who lent it to us. It shows a great presumption on our part, a great pride, a great lack of justice and charity. If we're entrusted with something for use or for keeping, then then we're totally negligent with it, right? We neglect it. Recently, I baptized a, a baby of a couple, a friend of mine, and the baby's very young. I can't remember how young, but several weeks. <laughs> and after the baptism, the mother asked me, Father, would you like to hold the baby? And my instinctive reaction, before I could think about it, I just blurted out, no, that's okay. I'm all right. Um, let's wait until he gets a little bit older <laughs> because he's so so small. And uh, I mean, I'd be fine holding the baby, but my instinctive reaction was, ah, better leave him in safer hands. And I think that's um, that's a little bit what we have to have with each other and with our own life, right? The sense that this is something fragile. This is something precious. And so we don't treat it roughly. We have to treat it well. We try to make sure that it's in safekeeping. And if we thank Lord Jesus I think in your presence of the problems in this world of ours, the problems even in our own lives, the great evils in this world. They come from this kind of prideful presumption that we can do whatever we want with ourselves and others. We can do whatever we feel like with ourselves and others and even things, right? The natural world or possessions. And we see this over and over again. This region or this country belongs to me. It's mine. So I can invade it. You are my girlfriend or boyfriend. 
And so I can be violently jealous and controlling of you. You are my children. And so I will plan your life for you. Down to the last detail. This is my body. I can abuse it with drugs or alcohol or whatever. Or I can radically change it through surgery. Or terminate another life that's growing inside it. Why? Because it's mine. It's my possession. I can do with it what I want. This is my money. So I can waste it. I can spend it selfishly. I can invest it however I want. I can hoard it without sharing it with others. This is my life. So I can spend and waste my time and spend my days just as I please. And no one can tell me otherwise. These are my things. I can take care of them or neglect them as I please. And this is the danger of conceiving of ourselves and conceiving of our lives as fundamentally isolated from God and from, and from others. It gives us the impression that we have the right to do pretty much whatever we want as long as it's legal and as long as it doesn't have bad consequences for ourselves or for others. And that leads to great conflict and, and great injustice and great isolation and great sadness. What a difference from the perspective that St. Joseph had on his life. I exist to be faithful to a sacred trust. In his love for me, God has given me my life so that I can serve the lives of his mother, Mary, of Jesus, his son, who is God. He's given me his son to be my son and his spouse to be my wife. In his love for me, God has given me my life so that I can serve the lives of these people who are so precious to him. I thank you, Lord, that you have held me worthy to be in your presence and serve you. And Lord Jesus, our life, our life is the same. St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, What do you have that you do not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? What do you have that you do not receive, receive from God? And the answer, of course, is nothing, nothing. Everything is a gift from God. Everything is given to me in a sacred trust. It's all on loan. Nothing is simply mine. Nothing is simply my possession with which I can do whatever I want. I have to account for it all. I have to be careful and respectful of it all. Everything matters. Everything has value. This includes myself. It includes everyone else in my life in the world. It includes even my possessions and the world of nature. Everything is a gift from God. And God is love. God loves everything. God values everything. St. Paul also writing to the Corinthians, I guess he wanted, he wanted them to really get this point clear in their head. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we are not our own. Our very selves belong to God. What a simple but powerful truth, a deep truth. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. I belong to God. And God is love. And so I am precious to God. And everyone in my life, Lord, belongs to you. They're all precious to you. You created them all. You died for them all. And so this is the sacred trust that I treat myself and others and the world in a way that God will be happy with, in a way that respects God's own love for the world, God's own love for others. That I return, when I die, I return myself and I return everything in my life to God in a condition that shows that respect and veneration and love and acceptance of that sacred trust that he gave to me when he gave me my life and he put all those things in it. There's a story from the Old Testament. There's two of them, actually, which I think speak to this attitude of, of you know, extreme respect that we should have for each other because of God's love for for the other people in our life. And they're both from um, the life of, uh, of King David. And they have to do with his mercy for Saul. Right? Saul is the king of Israel at the time, and he's persecuting David. And yet David doesn't assassinate Saul when he has a chance. He doesn't physically hurt Saul when he can. Because he respects Saul out of respect for God. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, this is the first example of this from the book of Samuel. He was told, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Afterward, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterwards, David also rose and went up out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and did obeisance. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of those who say, David seeks to do you harm? This very day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave, and some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? 
Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me with good, whereas I have repaid you evil. The logic of David is so beautiful that even though Saul wants his death and is persecuting him and they're at war, David refuses to kill him, refuses to physically attack his person with this reasoning because he's the Lord's anointed. He belongs to God. A couple chapters later, in the same book of Samuel, a similar thing happens. Abishai and David go into the camp of Saul, and Saul is sleeping, and they're all sleeping very heavily, (laughs) very heavily through some sort of intervention of God. Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand today. They stand there over Saul while he's sleeping. Now therefore, let me pin him to the ground with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can raise his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now take a spear that is at his head and the water jar, and let us go. And so they leave, and again they distance themselves from the camp, and then they show Saul, hey, look, we got your spear and we have your water jar. And so you see that we were very merciful with you again. We spared you again, even though we could have killed you. And in both of these cases, David's reasoning is very clear. He respects Saul and doesn't harm him because he's the Lord's anointed, because he's God's chosen one, because he belongs to God in a special way. How dare I lift up my hand against God's anointed, God's possession. And this is at the heart of of morality, really. Uh, Thou shalt not kill. At the heart of respecting each other and doing no harm to each other is this idea that human life is sacred, and it's sacred because it belongs to God because it's precious to God. And Jesus, as we know, takes that moral law, thou shalt not kill, and internalizes it for us. He says, don't even, don't even be angry with your brother. Don't even call him raka or fool. You've heard thou shalt not kill, but I say to you, don't even be angry with, with each other. Why? Because what you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. It's see me in others because they belong to me, because I love them, because I die for them on the cross, because they're children of my Father in heaven. They have a value and a dignity and a worth that you can't see and that you can't feel at times and that you're blinded to in your wrath or in your vengeance or in your sense of being wronged by them but it's there and so we should be very careful very slow to um, mistreat anyone uh, to mistreat each other to mistreat ourselves because kind of like Saul right, to do that is to is to harm the Lord's anointed 
the Lord's chosen one. Because each one of us is precious to God. What do you have that you do not receive? You are not your own. You belong to God. You've been bought at a great price. This is a great truth that we see so clearly in St. Joseph. Everything is his and everything is God's. God gives him everything that's most precious to God himself. His mother, his spouse, and his son. In a way we could say Joseph experiences what the father in the parable of the prodigal son tells the elder son, right? He's trying to encourage the elder son to come in and forgive his brother and rejoice at his brother's returning and to have the father's own heart. And he says to him, son, all that is mine is yours. I share everything that is precious to me that is mine with you. And Joseph has experienced this. God the Father has said to him, all that is mine is yours. I love you so much that you can take care of my mother and you could be spouse to my spouse and you can be father to my son. All that is mine is yours. But the condition there is that Joseph can't treat them as if they were just his. Right? As if oh, they're mine and so I can treat them in any way I want and I can take advantage of them and control them, etc. No, that, that just simply can't happen, can't work. And the same is true of us. God, the people that you've put in my life, including myself, are precious to you. And you've given them to me. And like Joseph, I, I delight in them, I can enjoy them, but I have to do it with a real respect and reticence and reverence so as not to overstep, so as not to abuse, so as not to neglect. All that is mine is yours. Jesus himself talks about having the same kind of radical relationship with the Father, that he receives everything from the Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All that is mine is yours. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And among those things, Lord Jesus, that have been handed over to you by your Father is us. <laughs> we are put in Jesus' hands by the Father. And Jesus says, no one could take them out of my hands because no one could take them out of my Father's hands. We're firmly placed in the possession of Jesus and the possession of God the Father. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And in belonging to God, God belongs to us. Because we belong to Jesus, because we're identified with Jesus, we possess God. God is our Father. God is ours. St. Paul makes this point. He connects those two ideas of, of our possessing God and our being possessed by God, being possessed in God. Again, he's writing to the Corinthians. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. What an amazing image for us to dwell on. 
We are God's temple, and therefore God dwells in us. So let no one boast about human leaders, Paul goes on a little bit further down. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. All things are yours. All that is mine is yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. And this is the nature of Joseph's vocation. Do not be afraid to take her as your wife, even though she is my spouse. And do not be afraid to name her son, Jesus, even though he's my son. All that is mine is yours. And we too, Lord, you're telling us, do not be afraid to love the people in your life, to serve the people in your life. But do it with that sense that they're not just yours, right? They're on loan from me. They're on loan from God. We go to Our Lady and we ask her to live with this humility and this gratitude, this sense that everything is a gift from God. Everyone in my life, including myself, including my own life and existence, my body, everything. Everything in the world is a gift from God. Our Lady, Our Mother, help us to live in gratitude and in service with a generous response to God's trust in us, to live this sacred trust, which is our Christian life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.